Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. episode of Peddling Fiction, broadcasting once again, quarantined, deep behind enemy lines in the Windy City. I, of course, am your host, the purveyor of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. How's everybody doing today? I hope you are not sick with the coronavirus, and you're just hanging out, looking for something to do, maybe something to listen to, and I got a good show for you today. I, um, you know, it's Friday afternoon and the coronavirus craziness has just been escalating all week. This is really getting to be surreal, just absolutely surreal. It's like, um, something you'd see out of a a movie, you know, they're, um, they just announced that they're going to issue a, I think it's a statewide shelter-in-place order for Illinois. New York's got it. California, I think, is doing something similar. And um, like 600 people just died in Italy. Italy's got, uh, has um, instituted martial law. There's, um, I don't know what's going on over there. I still haven't found a really good explanation as to why It's so much worse in Italy than anywhere else. And I don't think it's just a a time thing, like like an issue with timing. I I think there's something else in play. I I just don't know. I I get that they have, like, the oldest population in Italy, and I I don't know. I guess they're they're always kissing each other on the cheek. Maybe they should cut that shit out. (laughs) But um, it, it seems very odd that certain countries aren't really affected by this at all or the damage is minimum and then you have places like Italy that it's just getting crushed and I think it's still too uh, soon to tell what's going to happen here stateside the next uh, week or so we should have a better idea of which direction we're heading whether or not we're going to be closer to South Korea who got a, a really good handle on things early on or we, we're going to go the way of Europe, uh, Italy, Spain, France, and, and just um, really hit this downward spiral. And that's sort of the topic I, I wanted to cover today because I came across an article. And of all places, the failing New York Times. I, I almost had to like triple check that this was a New York Times article just because of how absolutely devastating it is to the statist mindset that you know we have to have a big government apparatus here to protect us from things like this and you know we're getting libertarians are getting tons of questions about well how would you know a libertarian society handle this or what would happen in Ancapistan if there was an outbreak like this and i mean really if you think about it if you compare the available options to a a free voluntary society where all property is privately owned and individuals can control who goes where, uh, who's invited onto their property, things like that. When you have insurance companies that have a a stake in not letting uh, sick people travel uh, across borders or across state lines and well I guess you wouldn't have states either but uh, traveling and, and going into buildings and infecting people when you have all of these other tools that could be used 
when you compare that to what the various states have done, what various governments have done across the globe. We've had examples from very authoritarian governments like China, where this all started, the Chinese coronavirus. Uh, that seems to be triggering a lot of imp uh, a lot of reporters now. I, it's just so stupid. But and then you have places like Italy with their Medicare for all, their free health care, they're in shambles, and that you've got it in places like the United States. And, and at each at each level, you have colossal failures of government. That's going to be the, the, the main topic of this article, which I, the New York Times, they just go through, and it's kind of long. I'm going to read the article, and we're going to kind of go through it. So bear with me because it is a fairly long article, but it just keeps getting worse. And, you know, I debated whether or not to sum it up or to just link to it. But I, I figured I'd read through it, and we'll, we'll see how long it takes to get through this thing because – I mean, man, just when you think thinks the, the state can't be any dumber, can't do anything worse to prohibit individuals from getting a, getting a jump start uh, on controlling this thing before it gets to pandemic levels, uh, they, go and, they go ahead and do something like 10 times worse. So hopefully this will at least give some people pause when they think of their wise overlords in government and how we need the FDA and the CDC to protect us from all these things, when really they just fail on every single level during the most crucial uh, points in time. And then, you know, I want to go through some of the other government reactions to this in terms of trying to save the economy. Here we got uh, stimulus packages coming out left and right. It's almost hard to keep track of all this stuff because they're just... They're coming out with proposals and ideas and they're doing things and everything's moving so fast and they're just throwing money at everything. So we're going to kind of go through that. And I know I've talked about the uh, repercussions of that on this show before, but I'm going to reiterate some of those points because I think it's very important that we understand the actual problems going on and how, once again, the government solutions to those problems will do nothing but make it worse. So, without further ado, here we go. The New York Times. Coronavirus outbreak. It's just everywhere already. How delays in testing set back the U.S. coronavirus response. A series of missed chances by the federal government to ensure more widespread testing came during the early days of the outbreak when containment would have been easier. Dr. Helen Chu, an infectious disease expert in Seattle, knew that the United States did not have much time. In late January, the first confirmed American case of the coronavirus had landed in her area. Critical questions needed answers. Had the man infected anyone else? Was the deadly virus already lurking in other communities and spreading? As luck would have it, Dr. Chu had a way of monitoring the region. For months, as part of a research project into the flu, she and a team of researchers had been collecting nasal swabs from residents experiencing symptoms throughout the Puget Sound region. To repurpose the tests for monitoring the coronavirus, they would need the support of state and federal officials. Of course, of course, right? But nearly everywhere Dr. Chu turned, officials repeatedly rejected the idea even as weeks crawled by and outbreaks emerged in countries outside of China where the infection began. By February 25th, Dr. Chu and her colleagues could not bear to wait any longer. They began performing coronavirus tests without government approval. What came back confirmed their worst fear. They quickly had a positive test from a local teenager with no travel uh, no recent travel history, the coronavirus had already established itself on American soil without anybody realizing it. It must have been here the entire time, Dr. Chu recalled thinking with dread. It's just everywhere already. In fact, officials would later discover through testing the virus had already contributed to the deaths of two people and it would go on to kill 20 more in the Seattle region over the following days. Now this article, just so you guys know, it's a few days, it might be a week old at this point, oh, 10 days old. This is from March 10th. So these numbers, they're going to be a little dated. 
uh, everything's worse than um, what's going on at the time of the writing this article now, thanks to your government, thanks to the FDA, thanks to the CDC, but we'll get into that. So anyway, back to the article. Federal and state officials said the flu study could not be repurposed because it did not have explicit permission from research subjects. The labs were also not certified for clinical work. While acknowledging the ethical questions, Dr. Chu and others argued that there should be more flexibility in an emergency situation during which so many lives could be lost. On Monday night, state regulators told them to stop testing altogether. The failure to tap into the flu study, detailed here for the first time, was just one in a series of missed chances by the federal government to ensure more widespread testing during the early days of the outbreak, when containment would have been easier. Instead, local officials across the country were left to work in the dark as the crisis grew undetected and exponentially. Even now, after weeks of mounting frustration towards federal agencies over flawed test kits and burdensome rules, states with growing cases such as New York and California are struggling to test widely for the coronavirus. The continued delays have made it impossible for the officials to get a true picture of the scale of the growing outbreak, which has now spread to at least 36 states and Washington, D.C. Dr. Robert R. Redfeld, Redfield director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they're doing a bang-up job over there, said in an interview on Friday that acting quickly was critical for, for combating an outbreak. Time really matters, he said. He insisted that despite the rocky start, there was still time to beat back the coronavirus in the United States. It's going to take rigorous, aggressive public health. What I like to say, block and tackle, block and tackle, block and tackle, block and tackle, he said. That means that if you find a case, you isolate it. But the Seattle flu study illustrates how existing regulations and red tape, sometimes designed to protect privacy and health, have impeded the rapid rollout of testing nationally, while other countries ramped up much earlier and faster. Faced with a public health emergency on a scale potentially not seen in a century, the United States has not responded nimbly. The CDC's own effort to create a system for monitoring the virus around the country using established government surveillance networks for the flu has not yet built steam. And as late as last week, after expanding authorizations for commercial and academic institutions to make tests, administration officials provided conflicting accounts of when a significant increase in tests would be available. In states like Maine, Missouri, and Michigan, where there are fewer no-known infections, state public officials say they have more than enough tests to meet demand. But it remains unclear how many Americans have been tested for the coronavirus. The CDC says approximately 8,500 specimens or no swabs have been taken in since the outbreak. Obviously, like I said, these figures are outdated. By comparison, South Korea, which discovered its case around the same time as the United States, reported having the capacity to test roughly 10,000 people a day since late February. As soon as the genetic sequence of the coronavirus was published in January, the CDC's first job was to develop a diagnostic test. That's our prime mission, Dr. Redfield said, to get eyes on this thing. The agency was also uh, released criteria for deciding which individuals should be tested for the virus. At first, only those who had a fever and respiratory issues and had traveled from the outbreak's origin in Wuhan, China. The criteria were so strict that the sick man in Seattle and had visited Wuhan did not meet them. Okay, so there you go. That you know, Leave it to some bureaucrat to create uh, such a strict impossible criteria to meet that even some sick man in Seattle from Wuhan where this thing originated doesn't meet the criteria. Nailed it. Nailed it. Way to go. Back to the article. Still worried, state health officials pushed to get him checked and the CDC finally agreed. Local officials sent a sample to Atlanta and the results came back positive. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. Who would have thought that an Asian guy that was spending time over in Asia where this pandemic was running rampant might need to be tested for this disease? 
I mean, if there was ever a time for profiling, wouldn't it be there? Wouldn't you throw your stupid fucking rules out the window and be like, listen, I, I know this is the protocol, but this guy is from Wuhan and Wuhan is, is under lockdown right now because this disease is everywhere. Maybe we should just give him a test. Don't you think? Don't you think that makes sense? It's a problem. It makes too much sense. So the government won't won't allow it. Absolutely not. At least not with a bunch of back and forth and you putting up a huge fight and, and, and ripping out your hair trying to do the most obvious thing in the world. Officials monitored 70 people who were in contact with the man, including 50 who consented to getting nose swabs and none tested positive for the coronavirus. But there was still the possibility that someone had been missed, said Dr. Scott Lindquist, the state epidemiologist for communicable diseases. Around this time, the Washington State Department of Health began discussions with the Seattle flu study already going on in the state. But there was a hitch. The flu project primarily used research laboratories, not clinical ones, and its coronavirus test was not approved by the FDA, and so the group was not certified to provide test results to anyone outside their own investigators. They began discussions with the state, CDC, and FDA officials to figure out a solution according to emails and interviews. So here we go. Now now starts the back and forth, the runaround. You got to talk to the CDC. The CDC tells you to talk to the FDA, and then you got to have conference calls and meetings and all of this crap. And, uh, well, back to the article. Dr. Scott F. Dowell a former high-ranking CDC official and a current deputy director at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which funds the Seattle flu study, asked for the help from leaders of the CDC coronavirus response. Hoping there is a solution, he wrote on February 10th. Later, Dr. Linguist, the state epidemiologist in Washington, wrote an email to Dr. Alicia Fry, the chief of the CDC's epidemiology and prevention branch, and they got branches for everything, and nobody's fucking doing anything. This is, uh, this is just infuriating. Requesting the study be used to test for the coronavirus. CDC officials repeatedly said it would not be possible. If you want to use your test as a screening tool, you will have to check with the FDA. Gail Langley, an officer of the CDC's National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Disease, wrote back in an email on February 16th, so six days later. But the FDA could not offer the approval because the lab was not certified as a clinical laboratory under regulations established by the Centers for Medical and Medicare Services and a process that could take months. So do you see how unworkable this whole fucking thing is? I mean, look what's going on here. You have doctors who have a, a positive test case, who have samples from potentially thousands of people that have already been infected, and they could nip this thing in the bud weeks before this leviathan of government actually kicks into gear. And you got to go to the CDC, and the CDC tells you to talk to the FDA, and you don't meet the FDA's regulation. You got to wait six days for them to review your, get back to you on an email. And then they got to, well, now you're in violation of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and all this crap just everywhere, bogging everything down. What are we doing? What are we doing here? How could anybody think this is a good idea? It, it just blows my mind. But everyone just wants to blame Donald Trump for this. Which, you know, I get it. The ship goes down. Everybody blames the captain. But it, it, the, the truth of the matter is, as, as big of a bumbling buffoon cartoon character as Donald Trump is, this type of shit would happen no matter who is president. Does not matter who is at the, the wheel of this ship. It, it's a disaster. You cannot turn this thing around fast enough. It's way too big. There's nothing you can do. Back to the article. Sorry. Dr. Chu and Dr. Linguist tried repeatedly to wrangle approval to use the Seattle flu study. The answers were always no. We felt like we were sitting, waiting for this pandemic to emerge, Dr. Chu said. We could help, but we couldn't do anything. As Washington State 
debated with the federal officials over what to do, the CDC confronted the daunting task of testing more widely for the coronavirus. The CDC had designed its own test, as it typically does during an outbreak. Several other countries also developed their own tests. But when the CDC shipped those tests to public labs across the country, some local health officials began reporting that the test was producing invalid results. Huh. Imagine that. A government agency producing a fucking horseshit test that doesn't work. I am just shocked. Peel me off the floor. Peel me off the floor. I don't understand how they got this wrong. Why is it producing invalid? I mean, this is the government. They're infallible. This is the Center for Disease Control. Thank God we have these uh, government agencies like them and the FDA to prevent uh, all of these private institutions from creating tests that may or may not also produce invalid results. Oh, my God. The CDC promised that replacement kits would be distributed within days, but the problem stretched on for over two weeks. All right. So, yeah, they're, they're moving at a snail's pace. Big shocker. Only five state laboratories were able to test in that period. Washington and New York were not among them. By February 24th, as new cases of the virus began popping up in the United States, the state labs were growing frantic. The Association of Public Health Laboratories made what it called an extraordinary and rare request of Dr. Stephen Hahn, the commissioner of the FDA, asking him to use his discretion to allow state and local public health laboratories to create their own tests for the virus. We are now many weeks into the response with still no diagnostic or surveillance test available outside of the CDC for the vast majority of our member laboratories, Scott Becker, the chief executive of the association, wrote in the letter to Dr. Hahn. Dr. Hahn responded two days later, saying in a letter that false diagnostic test results can lead to significant adverse public health consequences and that the laboratories were welcome to submit their own tests for emergency authorization. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, you mean like the false fucking test you were just shipping out a week ago? Uh, Okay. But the approval process for laboratory-developed tests was proving onerous. Private and university clinical laboratories which typically have the latitude to develop their own tests, were frustrated about the speed of the FDA as they prepared applications for emergency approvals from the agency for their coronavirus tests. Dr. Alex Greninger, an assistant professor at the University of Washington Medical Center in Seattle, said he he became exasperated in mid-February as he communicated with the FDA over getting his application ready to begin testing. This virus is faster than the FDA, he said, adding that at one point the agency required him to submit materials through the mail in addition to email. Oh, yeah, send it through the mail. Oh, my God. Government is just the worst. How how does anybody believe in this institution now? I mean, it's a cult. You have to be brainwashed to believe that this is the approach that we need to take to organizing society. I mean, they're just failing on every single goddamn level. Could they have done any worse? Could they have done any worse? I suppose if the test actually infected people, that would be worse. But short of that, short of actually killing people, I I don't think they could have done any worse up to this point. Do you? Am I wrong here? Am I overstating? I mean, this is actually the New York Times. Are they they overstating this? I'm just reading the article. Uh, Anyways, let's go back to it. New tests typically require validation. Running the test on known positive samples from a patient or a copy of the virus genome, the FDA's process called for five. Obtaining such samples has been hard because most hospital labs have not seen coronavirus cases yet, said Dr. Karen Call, chair of the Department of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine at North Shore University Health System in Illinois. She said she had to scramble to obtain virus RNA from laboratories in Europe. Everyone is trying to figure out what we can get to help us gather the data we need, she said. The FDA has disputed that it moved too slowly. (laughs) Okay. 
<laughs> Good luck disputing that. Uh, saying that it provided emergency authorization for two laboratory-developed tests within 24 hours of a completed submission. One was the CDC's test that sucked, and the other a test developed by New York's Wadsworth Laboratory after it had trouble verifying the CDC's test. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. On the other side of the country, in Seattle, Dr. Chu and her flu study colleagues, unwilling to wait any longer, decided to begin running samples. A technician in the laboratory of Dr. Leah Starita, who was testing samples, soon got a hit. I'm like, oh, my God. I just took off running, Dr. Sarita said, to the office of the study's program managers. We got one, she told them. What do we do? Members of the research group discussed the ethics of what to do next. What we were allowed to do was to keep it to ourselves, said Dr. Chu. But we felt like we needed to tell the public health. They decided the right thing to do was to inform local health officials the case was a teenager in the, same in the same county where the first coronavirus case had surfaced, who had a flu swab just a few days before, but had no travel history and no link to any known case. The state laboratory, finally able to begin testing, confirmed the result the next morning. The teenager, who had recovered from his illness, was located and informed just after he entered his school building. He was sent home, and the school was later closed as a precaution. Later that day, the investigators and Seattle health officials gathered with representatives from the CDC and the FDA to discuss what happened. I think we all know what happened. Fucking CDC. Uh, the message from the federal government was blunt. What they said on the phone call very clearly was cease... Uh, this is unbelievable. Every time I read this, I just can't... Uh, I can't believe it, but cease and desist to Helen Chu. Dr. Lindquist remembered, stop testing. So that's the government's solution. That's the government's solution to this person who finally just threw up her hands and said, fuck it, I'm going to start testing things. She, she finds a case and they tell her, okay, stop what you're doing. You're making too much fucking progress over here. Slow down. Slow down. Ugh. Unbelievable. So back to the article. Still, the troubling finding reshaped how officials understood the outbreak. Seattle flu study scientists quickly sequenced the genome of the virus, finding a genetic variation also present in the country's first coronavirus case. The implications were unnerving. There was a good chance that the virus had been circulating silently in the community for around six weeks, infecting potentially hundreds of people. On a, on a phone call the day after the CDC and FDA had told Dr. Chu to stop, officials relented, but only partially, the researchers recalled. They would allow the study's laboratories to test cases and report the results only in future samples. They would need to use a new consent form that, specifically, that explicitly mentioned that results of the coronavirus test might be shared with local health departments. They were not to test the thousands of samples that had already been collected. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, we wouldn't want to know if there's already people infected that have been running around for weeks now, would we? That would make too much sense. The same day, the FDA said it would relax its rules and allow clinical labs to begin using their own coronavirus tests as long as they submitted evidence that they worked to the agency. Under the new policy, according to an agency representative on Tuesday, it had heard from 14 labs with 10 already beginning patient testing. On March 2nd, the Seattle Flu Studies Institutional Review Board at the University of Washington determined that it would be unethical for researchers not to test and report the results in, the, in a public health emergency, Dr. Starita said. Since then, her laboratory has found and reported numerous additional cases, all of which have been confirmed. As new samples came in, Dr. Sarita's laboratory also worked their way backward through the, some of the older samples that had been sitting in freezers for weeks, finding cases that dated back to at least February 20th, seven days before public health officials had any idea the virus was in the community. The scientists said they believe that they will find evidence that the virus was infecting people even earlier, 
and that they could have alerted authorities sooner if they had been allowed to test. But on Monday night, state regulators enforcing Medicare rules stepped in again, told them to stop until they could finish getting certified as a clinical laboratory, a process that could take many more weeks. In the days since the teenager's test, the Seattle region has spun into crisis with dozens of people testing positive and at least 22 people dying, many of them infected in a nursing home that had unknowingly been suffering casualties since February 19th. The availability of testing for the coronavirus remains uneven, with some people able to easily obtain tests in certain parts of the country while others have been turned away, Some state officials fear that the virus is spreading far faster than the capacity for testing is increasing. Looking back, Dr. Chu said she understood why regulations that stymied the the flu efforts for weeks existed. Those protections are in place for a reason, she said. You want to protect human subjects. You want to do things in an ethical way. The frustration, she said, was how long it took to cut through red tape to try to save lives in an outbreak that had potential to explode in Washington state and spread in many other regions. I don't think people knew that back then, she said. We know it now. Well, here's what I knew back then, and here's what I still know now, that all of that bureaucratic red tape that you've been fumbling over trying to get through for the last month, it doesn't need to be there. You don't need to have these bureaucracies, and there's so many of them that you have to check with and get authorization from and and certification from. Remember my episode on occupational licensing. This is the sort of stuff that happens at every level of government. It's not just in healthcare. It's not just with the CDC and the FDA. That's just the most egregious case this year, right, and it's right in front of us and people are actually dying now because of this, but this goes on in every level of government, in every sector of the economy, every business, to every entrepreneur trying to create something, every facet of life is impacted by this leviathan of government. And this is the perfect illustration of how at every turn, I mean, go back and if you want to read that article, it's New York Times. It's, it's from March. It's 10 days old now, so things have gotten exponentially worse since then. But just every single second, every time you try to do something, every time you try to make a move that's a preventative measure that's going to save lives, that's going to improve the situation, there's some agency that you have to go to, some bumbling bureaucrat that you have to get their approval in order to proceed. And what's their answer every time? Oh, no, no, you can't do that. No, no, you need to stop. Stop what you're doing. You're in violation of some other department. Go talk to them and get their approval first. Red tape, regulations, certification processes hampers the individual's ability to better society every single day. It's just that in this case, it's so obvious because you know there, there could be thousands of people dying now as a result. And I was having a discussion with a a dear, dear friend of the show a couple days ago. And, you know, she was watching Don Lemon, uh, the the dumbest guy on TV, go on one of his, you know, his little, I don't know what the hell you call them. It's practically unwatchable. It's like awkward. And and he's just terrible at it. But he's a soliloquy or something, whatever the hell you want to call it. We're just blaming Donald Trump left and right for everything. Well, Donald Trump downplayed it here, and he lied about this, and he was wrong about that. Listen, yes, I mean, obviously, we shouldn't be looking to Donald Trump for guidance on how to, or for any sort of medical advice whatsoever, for guidance on how to get through something like this. You shouldn't be listening to any politician. That's what politicians do. They lie. It's in their best interest to lie. Donald Trump wants to downplay things because this is an election year. He's got to come off like he's do, he's doing a great job, right? That's not unique to Donald Trump. 
this whole problem that I just spent 30 minutes reading to you, that's not unique to Donald Trump. That's not unique to government. Look what happened over in China. They lied about that thing for months. They kept that thing under wraps for months. October, November, they knew about that stuff. They let it go. Why? Because it, it makes the government look bad. Look what's going on over in the EU. The EU has, has, has done just as, as many ridiculous things. And can you imagine, if you think our red tape is bad, imagine a derivative of a government, a government of governments coming up with rules and regulations for how you have to do things. And perhaps one of the most shameful episodes concerning the uh, European Union relations since the start of this whole coronavirus outbreak was Germany refusing to allow the export uh, of face masks and ventilators to Italy after the, the Italy crisis got out of control and their government was like basically begging them. So here, there you have the government actually making it illegal for people in Germany who have these masks to send them to Italy. Who knows how many, how many lives that would have saved. This is not unique to Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not a unique evil. He's not uniquely incompetent either. This is not a bug in government. It's a feature of government. It's a feature of governments everywhere across the globe. There, there's no getting around it. I've done episodes about how it's impossible for them to be efficient. This is just another blatant example of everything that I always talk about on this show, and that's why I do this show, because I, I want to get these ideas out there. I want to crack through. I want to red pill you. That is one of the reasons why the logo of this show is a red pill and a blue pill. We've got way too many people that have taken that blue pill and they're going back to the matrix thinking that, you know, as long as we have the FDA and as long as we have the CDC, whose sole purpose is to, you know, Center for Disease Control and Prevention, pandemic prevention, like what, what have they been doing? How are they doing so far? They got 12, they have a $12 billion budget. I mentioned that on another show. Now they need another eight, eight and a half, something like that. Why? What did you do with the first $12 billion we gave you? Oh, yeah. They squandered it. And they fumbled this one. They fumbled everything. And you have Don Lemon coming out there and just laying this at the sole foot of Donald Trump as if anybody looks to Donald Trump. They do nothing but call him a, an idiot, a lying idiot. They count all of his lies even the most like minute, minuscule ones that mean practically nothing. When he lies about how many people show up to his rally or something. They're all over that. But now all of a sudden they want us to, they expect us to believe that the reason this outbreak got so out of control was because everybody in the country was looking to Donald Trump for answers. And since he came out and he said, Oh, it's under control, it's not that big a deal, well that everybody automatically started listening to him on this now? Really? That's what we're supposed to believe. All of a sudden, everybody believes Donald Trump now. I mean, come on. Come on, let's get serious. The guy has never shown more than like the surface, the, the thinnest surface level of knowledge on any subject whatsoever. It's like, you, you know, when you're in, in school and you have a, a reading assignment and you read the cliff notes, right? He reads like the back page uh, like the back of the cliff notes book <laughs> like the summary of the summary of the book and that's what he's got that's what he's got on everything and that's who you know everyone in the world is looking for now looking to now for advice on this and and the status and whether or not we should be worried and give me a break give me a break if it's just the gall of the media to be criticizing him for getting facts wrong for lying to the American people. I mean, maybe nobody was taking this seriously um, and people were downplaying it, myself included, because 99.99999% of the time, the, the media's reporting, the people like Don Lemon, is complete horseshit. They get it wrong every single time. Every single time. 
Maybe it's a case of the, the boy who cried wolf here. But it should come as no surprise that a politician lied to the American people. I mean, they have that old joke, how do you know a politician's lying? Well, his lips are moving. Obviously, he's going to lie. Obviously, he's going to tell you everything's okay. He's going to downplay it. It's a matter of crowd control. I mean, what's he supposed to do? Come out and say, you know, oh, this is the end of the world. Millions are going to die, and uh, we're going to run out of supplies and everything like that. <laughs> People are going to riot in the streets. It's going to do more harm than good. Anybody remember the Federal Reserve chairman coming out days before epic financial collapse strikes in 2008 telling us that everything is fine, that the, the underlying fundamentals of the economy are strong, that subprime is contained, or his successor, Janet Yellen, coming out and saying that she expects no new financial crises in our lifetime? In our lifetime, there aren't going to be any more crises. Oh, she almost made it like two years. <laughs> Three years. Okay. Nailed that one, too. Of course. That's what they say. That's what they always say. But it just goes to show you. It's just yet another reason why we shouldn't have this thing called government. They're incentivized to lie to you. They're incentivized to downplay things. And when they say, you know, he keeps doing these press conferences. He did another one today. And um, But he's always talking about how they're working with the private sector. They're working with private companies to ensure the, the supply chain isn't disrupted and all this stuff. All they're really doing when they have these meetings is, is asking, you know, these private companies what they're going to do. And the private companies ask them to, you know, remove some rules and regulations so that they can operate more efficiently. That's basically the entire the extent of the government's response to this was to roll back everything the government has been doing for the last 50 years. <laughs> that gets in our way every single day. It's just now it's so obvious that it's getting in our way and there are lives at stake. So now that there are lives at stake and, and people are really getting upset about this, okay, we can remove some of the government. We'll roll back government a little bit. I mean, that's all they do. So if you're wondering what it would look like in Ancapistan if we had one of these outbreaks, well, it would look a lot like it does now, except without all of the government bullshit in the way, stopping people from getting tests done early enough. We wouldn't be burdened by any of this stuff going into it, so we'd be on much so more solid footing. The government can't do anything else except undo all the shit that they've burdened us with over the, over the years. That's it. That's it. And now they're coming out with these stimulus packages. And I guess this is the perfect opportunity to segue into that. A big portion of the, the, the presser today was all of the, the things that the government's going to do to support the people. Here's what I want everybody to understand. And this is crucial. If you, if you never take anything else away from this show other than this, I would be completely fine with it. Okay? The government can never support the people. The people support the government. The government doesn't have anything. Okay, so all of this stuff that they're talking about, they can't do that without first taking it from somewhere. So it has to come from the people. The government doesn't have any money, okay? Yeah, sure, they can run dollars off of a printing press and, and dole them out to people, but that's worthless, okay? It, it's just paper, Okay? Without stuff, it's just paper. It has no value. It, it's the stuff that gives the paper value. The stuff that you can buy with the paper that gives the paper value. And you know, Trump said you know, they were talking about whether or not he's going to bail out uh, airlines and all these other companies, cruise ships, and everybody wants in on this now. It, you know, it's like a, a, a giveaway. You got movie theaters and hotels and airline. everybody, right? Everybody wants a piece of this action. Trump was out there talking about how, well, you know, he wasn't happy with, you know, he gave all these companies these huge tax cuts, and they didn't do what he wanted them to do. They didn't do what he expected with the tax cut money. They, um, they just bought back their stocks, and now they want a bailout. And, yeah, I mean, shocking. Shocking that they were incentivized to buy back their stocks. 
Maybe we shouldn't be using the tax code to try to manipulate behavior. How about that? How about that? How about you don't have the Federal Reserve artificially suppressing interest rates, making it unbelievably cheap for these companies to borrow money and buy back their inflated stock prices? That's what's been going on this entire time, this entire run-up in the market from the, the March lows in 2009 to almost 30,000, right? We were under 10,000 for a while. I think we were around 7,000, something like that on the Dow. And we got up to basically 30,000, right? The vast majority of that was all of these companies borrowing money and buying back their stock. And that, that gooses the stock price. And then they borrow some more and they buy that inflated. So they're buying overpriced stocks over and over and over again. And yes, that pushes the stock price up. And they get to pay themselves huge bonuses and everything's great until, oh, ooh, the, uh, the market takes a fucking dump like it did another 950 points today. Another dump. Now, all of a sudden, they don't have any cash on hand because they used all their cash. They were never incentivized to save. They were never incentivized to invest in capital and plant and equipment for their future. They were incentivized to take that cash and buy back their stocks. And now those overpriced stocks that they bought, well, they're tanking. They're down 10, 15, 30%. The, the stock market has taken a bigger dump this month faster than it did in 1929, in 1987. This, this is the, the fastest dumping of the stock market we've ever seen. But so now you have all these companies who don't have any cash on hand because they used it to buy overpriced stocks. And now those overpriced stocks are tanking. And so even if they sell those positions, they're not going to get back as much money as they put in. So they're in a real pickle here. They're in a world of hurt. And now here they are asking the government to bail them out. But who is the government? The government is you and me. It's the people supporting the government. So they're asking us to bail out their reckless behavior. And then the vast majority of the American people who have also saved nothing for a rainy day, who have spent all of their money as fast as it came in on that new car, on that new house, on that, you know, going out to dinner, on that new iPhone, all that stuff. They weren't concerned about a rainy day either, saving up for when something bad happens. So now they want the government to bail them out as well. Again, who supports the government? It's the people. So if the people are getting, uh, if the people need bailouts and the people and the companies need bailouts and every sector of the economy needs a bailout, who's going to do the bailing? We, we can't bail out everybody. Who's going to do the bailing? You know, the way I see it, we have two problems right now that are diametrically opposed, right? We have the, this bubble economy that the Federal Reserve and the, the Trump administration are hell-bent on propping up. Like Donald Trump's election hopes, if there are any left, I mean, he might be done for here. I don't see how he, he is ever going to get reelected now. Because I've been saying all along that I think he would run the table with any one of these Democratic nominees, and it looks like it, I mean, it's going to be Joe Biden at this point, which is just unbelievable. Another thing I was wrong about. Um. But, but, I mean, it doesn't matter at this point. who They could put a broomstick up there with a bucket on top of it for a head, and it would beat Donald Trump at this point because the economy is going to be a disaster by the time this election rolls around. But so you've got that issue, right? We want to protect this economy, this phony economy, stock market bubbles, bond market bubbles. We want to prop that up. But at the same time, we need to stop the spread of this coronavirus before it gets out of hand. And it still hasn't really gotten out of hand in the U.S. yet. It's just that we're looking around at all these other countries that didn't get ahead of this thing, like Italy and China, and we're trying to avoid that whole over, like overrunning of our healthcare system, or overcrowding of our hospitals, and things like that. We're not there yet, but the, you know, thanks to the FDA, the CDC, and all these other bureaucracies, we may get there pretty quickly. So. Stopping the spread of this virus and propping up this economy, uh, you can't do both. 
it, it's like with, when I talk about the Fed trying to protect the dollar and prop up the markets. You can't do both at the same time. It's one or the other. We either have to shut everything down, in which case the, you pop all of these bubbles in the economy, the stock market bubble, the bond market bubble, millions of people get laid off, the economy goes into the shitter, or you don't shut everything down and you risk spreading the disease, spreading the virus until you know we have a pan, like a like an incredible pandemic on our hands, right? And we've been doing the wrong thing for so long a, as a country. We've been putting off these problems for so long that we've put ourselves in an impossible position where there is no good answer. There is no getting out of this without a lot of pain. People are going to suffer one way or the other. And if you listen to that debate last uh, Sunday with Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, and you, you have both of them up there basically, but Joe Biden specifically promising, oh, don't worry, everyone's going to be made whole. You know, We'll make sure the government will pay for this. They're going to pay your mortgage. They're going to pay your child care. They're going to you know, take care of you if you lose your t- everything. Everything's covered, right? Nobody's going to feel any pain. Don't worry. You don't need to sacrifice anything. He also said that the, the government red tape didn't cause any problems in, in addressing the coronavirus. That was another great moment he had. And now you can say that we have to do X, Y, and Z now and deal with the repercussions later because this is such a big crisis. But you see, that's what we've been doing. That's what we've been doing all along. That's what we always do. There's always some reason. There's always some excuse to push these problems off into the future. That's what we did in 2001 after uh, the dot-com bubble burst and 9-11. That's what we did in 2008 after the housing bubble burst. It's always, oh, we can't deal with that right now. This is too big of a problem. This is the end of the world. We'll do the wrong thing now and push those problems off into the future. When things are better, we'll deal with them. We just had 10 years of supposed economic growth and nobody dealt with any of these problems. So we don't deal with them when times are good. And then when shit hits the fan, well, now we can't deal with it because look at the problems everybody has. So we'll we'll just deal with those problems and then the root cause of everything the one that just keeps making these problems bigger and bigger and bigger, we'll, we'll just put that off a little longer. And they're always politically driven every single time because politicians are worried. They're worried about getting reelected. And they have very short time horizons. What, what are they concerned about? Two years? Four years? Maybe six years if you're in the Senate? Okay. What about the long-term health and viability of the country? It's another problem with government. It's another problem with democracy is the high time preference. And I've talked about that before because they're only concerned with the next election. They're not concerned with long-term issues. And everything we're dealing with right now is a long-term issue that has been building up and building up for decades. And each time we put these problems off, they get bigger. It's why it's important that we understand the real problems and causes of our current situation. It's why we need to distinguish between, which I try to always do on this show, between crony capitalism and free markets, because they're going to try to blame all of these economic problems on capitalism, on these unfettered free markets, on the Trump tax cuts and things like that, when in reality it's Every problem that we face today, including the coronavirus, as we now know, has its roots in government, has its roots in the Federal Reserve, has its roots in, in government interference into our daily lives. Every single time there's a problem, you can rest assured there's a government at the root of it. And no doubt I had underestimated how much of an effect this coronavirus would have uh, on the country, um, even even the world. When this when this first came out, I was I was thinking, oh, you know, this will just be like SARS and bird flu and Ebola. I didn't think that this would be the pin that pops the biggest uh, economic bubble in in the history of, of economies. 
Absolutely not. But what I have stipulated all along is that the response to this virus, the government response to this virus will be worse than anything the virus does itself. And the response that we're seeing is going to be devastating to the long term. And, and not just economically, absolutely. But it, all of the civil liberties that we are about to sacrifice because it's an emergency and all of these politicians are going to take advantage of this. Whatever civil liberties we have left, they're, they're gone. They're, they're gone by the time this is over. It, it, it's really unbelievable, the things that they're talking about, even with just these stimulus things, right? Because what they're talking about doing now, they're, they're going to bail out these airlines, they're going to bail out all these companies, but what's going to happen? That bailout is going to come with a lot of strings attached to it. They're talking about like uh, rules where they have to put certain people on their boards. They have to have government agents operating on their board. The government's going to own a stake in these companies. This is basically like a backdoor into socialism. Uh, they're going to get their camel's nose under the tent. They're going to get a foothold in these companies, run them into the ground, and then you know, the next time they need a bailout, the government will bail them out again and take an even bigger piece. And then the, the, all those regulations and stipulations that come with that bailout will hamper that company's ability to be viable in the long term, to operate and compete effectively. And then, yeah, they'll lose out again. And then they'll need another bailout. And the government will take more and will take more and will take more control of it. Until they're they're re they're really the running the company for all intents and purposes, they have the major stakeholder, and they can do that throughout every industry. I, I really think that this is the plan right now. We're going to have a revolution without one gun being fired. They're just going to do it through this uh, stimulus stuff. Think about that. They they could seize the means of production through monetary stimulus packages and then just to, to think that you know they could inst institute martial law and I, I you know there's a there's a million other things that could go wrong here and just government overreach into our daily lives that we are willingly uh, you can already see the panic you can smell the fear on everybody they're willing to sacrifice everything to just make this coronavirus go away if the government promises it, they will let them do anything to us. We have to be very careful about this. Remember what happened after 9-11. We got the Patriot Act and the Anti-Money Laundering Act. A lot of those things helped cause the 2008 financial crisis. We, we've never been the same after that. And the amount of debt monetization that is going on and just the, the sheer amount of dollars that they are putting into circulation. I mean, we've never seen anything like this. They, the Federal Reserve put $300 billion into the markets just this week. Just this past week, $300 billion. Okay, Th this, they are going to destroy the value of the dollar what's left of it. They've already destroyed 98% of it since the Federal Reserve um, was created in 1913 with one of their goals being the preservation of the purchasing power of the dollar. So they're, they're doing great on that front. But what's left of it, they are going to destroy trying to help people out in the short term for the coronavirus, for the economy, at the expense of the long-term stability of of everything because the costs of, of what we're going through right now the costs of what the government's response to this to try to alleviate us from any self-sacrifice the costs are going to be tremendous probably worse than anything the virus could do to us anything the economy could do to us the, the cost of government the government's reaction to this is going to be far worse both in the short run and the long run and so you, you really have to wonder whether this whole thing, this whole response to everything is actually worth it. This is not the end of the world. Everybody's comparing this to World War II, like Donald Trump's referring to himself as a, a wartime president. Look, World War II was so much worse than what we are going through right now, and they didn't get anything from government. 
To try and pretend that we have never been through anything like this as a country is nonsense. That this is the worst thing ever and that the only way that we can get through it is if the government just starts dropping dollars from helicopters and giving bailouts to everybody. It's all nonsense. We got through World War II. 80 million people died. 16 million men went off to war just to die, just to blow stuff up. We destroyed entire countries. I would much rather go through what we're going through now than go through another world war where the whole world is just engaged in killing each other and destroying things. Okay, this is not the end of the world. But it is going to take sacrifice. Make no mistake about it. We will not all be made whole by government. That's a bunch of bullshit. We have to sacrifice. We're going to learn the true meaning of sacrifice through this. And hopefully we come out stronger as a people as a result. I'm going to wrap there, guys. Be safe out there. You know, these weekends... <laughs> It's funny because the during the week, my, my life's not that different. I, I work from home, and um, you start to realize that your day-to-day -day life is actually just quarantine life most of the time. The weekend is when we all want to go out and, and uh, you know party with people and hang out with friends and stuff. So the weekend's going to be the tough time for everybody to get through this. But be safe. Be smart. Realize that you, know, you, could, you could be putting other people at risk for your own selfish reasons. So the best thing you can do is to just sit inside all day and listen to episodes of the Pedaling Fiction podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction and check out our website, pedalingfictionpodcast.com. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter there and become a supporting member of the show. And if you can do all that, and if we can stay alive, I will be back next week with a brand new episode. We can do this all over again. Until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction.